Hi there, and welcome to Live from the Cybert Institute. In this podcast, we listen in on conversations taking place among ministers, church leaders, and scholars as we engage issues facing Christians and church leaders today. We hope that this episode is thought-provoking and a blessing to you, because as with everything we do in the Cybert Institute, our mission is to equip church leaders and help churches thrive. Today's episode features a conversation between Ashley Langford, our online content manager in the Cybert Institute, and Beth Robinson, a longtime counselor, writer, and professor who now teaches at Colorado Christian University. After you listen, make sure to follow our podcast so that you get all the latest episodes from your podcast platform of choice. Let's get started. This is Ashley Langford with uh, Live from Cybert, and we are at Colorado Springs in NCYM Conference, the National Children's and Youth Ministry Conference. If you've never heard of it, we highly recommend um, that you look at it. And I have the pleasure uh, to sit down with uh, Dr. Beth Robinson this uh, afternoon, and she's going to share a little bit about uh, anxiety and depression in adolescence. And um, before we get started and dived into that, Dr. Robinson, tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. I am a licensed professional counselor and have been for 30 years now. I have helped raise uh, 15 different foster and adoptive kids in my household and have been a college professor for over 30 years. And Currently, I'm a professor of clinical mental health counseling at Colorado Christian University. Thank you. Um, very highly qualified. Um, we really appreciate you uh, taking this time to share some of your experience and your knowledge with us. Um, so we all are experiencing and watching children and adolescents experience a huge increase in anxiety and depression. What do you think some of the factors that have contributed to that? Of course, the most obvious factor is COVID and the pandemic and isolation. We had kids who were pulled from their social support system and very isolated during that experience. During that experience, their parents were isolated as well. As a culture, we have never experienced that. So what's interesting is when parents are anxious, their kids catch it. Mm. That's a big part of it. The second thing that really happened during that pandemic and was already emerging before the pandemic was the use of technology. Mm. One of the things we, we recognize today is that kids are not having as many social interactions as previous generations did. Some of the research says that by the time a kid is 18 years old today, they have as many social interactions as we did by age six, which means the social and emotional parts of their brains are not developing. Mm. So whatever age they are, their coping skills for strong emotions or upsetting situations have not developed the way they have in previous generations. So as church leaders and ministers, what are some some skills, some techniques that we can implement to help and walk alongside students in our churches and that we are working with um, to cope with anxiety and depression that they're experiencing? Well, I'm going to talk about uh, probably about five different categories of things. The first one being that we have to learn as adults to manage our own emotions and deal with our own depression, our own anxiety, because kids play off of us as adults. So when we're anxious, kids catch it from us. 
So skill one is manage yourself as an adult, which is probably a whole other podcast. Yes. Sk- <laughs> skill two is context. What we don't realize is because of the isolation and the technology our kids have been immersed in, many of our kids don't have the context that we had before. I will share. I was a medically fragile young kid. I would quit breathing in the middle of the night and my sister would run and get my mom. My mom would get me up and we would have this ritual that helped me cope and learn to breathe again. But I knew that when I got sick, there were steps I took to get well again. With the pandemic, we have a whole generation who believes that everybody who gets sick is going to die. That's a lot of anxiety. So fundamentally, if, if we're going to address anxiety, we have to be able to share context with kids about you can get sick and get well. In fact, the majority of people who got sick with COVID got well. We just heard a lot about the ones who died. And sure, people died, but that's also part of life. And we put that in a theological context of we're longing. We're longing to be with God. And that connection with God and that experience of being in his presence is what we're all working for. So death is not something to be scared of. We, we don't want to make it where they want to go die. But we do want to provide context with kids so they're not scared of everything all the time. And whatever they're scared of, we need to be able to interact with them and share experiences from our own lives or things we have seen that show that these things that seem so scary can be dealt with and share with them how to deal with them. Okay. Then then I think we move on to kind of the technique ideas, Mm -hmm. which are things like music. Uh, We've known for my entire adult life that adolescents immerse themselves in music. They do so even more probably today because they get to select their music. I'm old enough that we used to have to listen to an entire album to hear the songs we wanted to hear. We didn't have Spotify and go find the song we want. But music is powerful in dealing with anxiety and depression. But it can make it worse or better. And so as adults, parents, leaders, we need to be equipping our children and adolescents with knowledge about the impact of music on their brains. So if you pay, if you play music that ha, that is very upbeat and joyful, it increases the feel good neurotransmitters in your brain. Okay. So if you're feeling kind of sad, that can pull you out. Hmm. Now, if you're feeling kind of anxious, you want some music that goes to about 60 to 80 beats a minute. Okay. To help calm down your anxiety. Because the flip side of music is it reduces your cortisol Mm. when you get down to 60 to 80 beats a minute. So if you're feeling anxious, playing very rapid music makes you more anxious. Mm. So music is is a great tool for our kids. And I I will share, worship music is amazing for me. Mm. I get immersed in worship music. And when I'm feeling down, worship music lifts me up. Mm. Our kids will have their own music. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, as youth leaders or parents, we have a great opportunity to share music with kids. The music we listen to and how it impacts us is a way to connect with kids with interpersonal interactions. So they're not just isolated listening to their music. We're saying, what are you listening to? I'd like to hear it. 
and say, would you like to hear what I'm listening to? Let's, let's share this. And so we're getting the power of music to deal with anxiety and depression, but we're also getting the interpersonal connection in the moment. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a double win for us. Yes. So that's huge. Um, kids are often anxious because they're worried about the past or worried about the future. As adults, we're pretty anxious when we worry about the past or the future. Truth. <laughs> a lot of our anxiety comes from one or the other. Very true. Okay. So the solution to that is stay in the present. There are skills that help us stay in the present. Mm. So we want to work on things that we call grounding skills in counseling, which are about being in the present. Mm. You can literally have a kid stop and say, tell me what all you can hear right now. Just get totally quiet and let them tell you everything they can hear. Mm. They have to be in the present to do that. Another powerful technique to keep kids in the present is to have them look at something, for instance, look at what's sitting on the dining room table at home. Okay, I want you to look at it all. Now I want you to close your eyes and tell me everything that you saw. It's a memory skill, but when you're activating that part of your brain, you have to stay in the present. You can't go to the past. Mm. So staying in the present is about what do you hear, what do you see, what do you smell, what do you taste, what do you feel? Mm. And we want kids to stay very much in the present to help manage severe anxiety. And those techniques work great immediately with kids. Anything that is about being in the present, the present moment. And then there's another set of skills that are just breathing skills. They're teaching your body to relax. Some of the simplest ones are take a breath in through your nose for four seconds, let it out through your mouth and take eight seconds to let that happen. When you breathe it in more rapidly and exhale it more slowly, it changes your brain neurochemistry and you relax. Amazing. It, it's, it's simple, but it works. And there are, you can literally go online and look up relaxation breathing techniques and there are probably 30 in the first place you look because there's so many different ones that can be used. Now, kids who've gone to counseling will say, breathing doesn't work for me. Well, that's because they go, <sighs> and they're in a hurry to breathe in, breathe out, and know it didn't work. Well, there's a difference between saying, go to your room and do your breathing and sitting with a kid, making eye contact, breathing with them. Helping them re-regulate with you. I want you to think about the way that children initially learn to regulate their emotions and behaviors when they're infants is from being held by their parents and when their parents' heartbeat soothes them and they slow down. And one of the things that we don't realize is how much kids learn emotional regulation in relationship with a parent. Mm. So even though they're older now, remember, we talked about those parts of the brain, the social and emotional parts haven't developed. And so if we're going to do breathing exercises, it's going to work a whole lot better if as a parent, a youth leader, a minister, we're sitting with them, making eye contact and doing it with them. Okay. That eye contact is powerful. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you send a kid off in isolation to do breathing exercises or grounding exercises or mm -hmm. music, 
you lose some of the power of the interaction in the present and in the moment and helping them calm down. It's huge. It's huge. You, you've referenced several times this idea that they have not emotionally developed. Are there things as uh, parents, as youth workers that we can do to counteract if we, other than being aware that even though they may be physically 18 years old, they're about six years old on the emotional maturity level. What are some things that uh, we can implement to help that development? Maybe expedite, increase it. I don't know <laughs> if there is such a trick. I don't know that it's a trick. It's a going back to what always worked before. Mm. There was this research 20 or 30 years ago that said eating dinner at a family table was the one thing that helped reduce most at-risk adolescent behaviors was having dinner as a family around the table. Okay. The reason that worked was not because mom was a good cook. Mm -hmm. That worked because everybody was talking around a table. So the magic is limiting screen time, technology mm-hmm. time. Pediatricians, the, the American uh, Pediatric Association says that screen time for everybody really up until age 17 should be about an hour a day. Most of our kids get way more screen time than that at school now. Yes. But if we completely limit screen time and we start talking to our children again, That's the big thing that increases social-emotional development. Mm. Why don't we sit down and play a card game with them? Why don't we sit down and help them do their homework? Mm. I'm amazed at how many kids I see in counseling who say, I hate doing my schoolwork because it's on a computer. I wish teachers would let me write it down on paper. Mm. I never expected that. Mm. But that tells you a lot about the kids. And probably a lot of it was when they were writing it on paper, teachers were giving them feedback in a conversation. And now the computer gives all the feedback. So that has done away with interpersonal interaction. So it, it's not it's not rocket science, literally, mm-hmm. to say, you've got to talk to your kids a whole lot more. You've got to interact with them more. I, I can remember when I first got foster kids, and I was 32 years old at the time. I took teenagers first, mm-hmm. and I was amazed that I was just a taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was all it was. It felt like all of a sudden my life was being a taxi driver for these teenagers. But I remember the conversations we had in the car. Hmm. Uh, some of the best conversations I had with my kids were in the car because I was looking ahead. They didn't think I was paying that much attention. And we had great conversations. Parents aren't having those conversations in a car today because their kids have put in their headphones. Earbuds. See, I'm, I'm dating myself saying headphones. Earbuds today. Earbuds. <laughs> and everybody's on their own device doing their own thing in the car. Mm. What happens if if the car is a no device zone? Oh. Yes, isn't that radical? That is very radical. What, what happens if we come home and we actually eat a meal together as a family and everybody has to leave their technology? Or even if we go to a restaurant to eat that there's no technology. We have kids who are hungry for us to interact with them. Mm. And that's how that emotional and social part of the brain develops is through interactions and through interactions that aren't clean up your room. Yeah. Have you made your bed? I always call those the logistic conversations of getting the household. Hurry up. 
We're behind. We've got to get here. Those aren't the conversations that develop the social emotional part of the brain. The conversations that develop that are sitting and talking like we are right now. Those are huge. What are some resources as church leaders that we could provide? I, I know our job is not necessarily, we cannot, we have our kids for such a limited amount of time, um, at most three hours a week. Uh, if we're good as a, as a youth minister and children's minister, what are some resources that you would recommend that we can point our parents to um, that would be beneficial to them to help their kids with anxiety or just this emotional social development? Ashley, I have to admit, I am not up to date enough on how parents would access that information because um, I have not listened to a ton of podcasts, but I would think some of the best resources would be podcasts because that's what I hear parents are doing is listening mm -hmm. to a lot of podcasts. And uh, in my generation, we have not done that. I, I am still a reader. And what I recognize is that if I recommend a book, mm -hmm. Most parents in your congregation aren't going to listen to it. So I think I would come back and challenge you at Cyber to come up with good podcasts for them to listen to. I like that. We will we will gladly accept that challenge and be working on providing some of those resources. Is there anything as a, a as a professional counselor that you uh, wisdom that you would like to share with church leaders um, working with adolescents? And particularly, I think, with your experience of working with adolescents that have come from hard environments. Is there any anything that you just wisdom, you wish that someone had told you before maybe you had foster kids, and I'm sure there's a lot um, that you would want to share as we minister to maybe kids that come from hard places? I'm going to say we can't forget as church leaders that the most powerful thing is for a teenager or a child to see your face light up when you see them come into your church. Mm -hmm. I deal with children who have never seen a parent's face light up when they do something that's tremendous. I mean, I think often about how many times my parents' faces lit up. And I work really hard at doing that for kids who've been in my home. So I remember the elder in my hometown congregation who always had a stick of gum for me. I remember my hometown congregation because I thought those people loved me. They were so, ex they did love me. Mm -hmm. They were so excited to see me. It was this really small congregation. And, and I think that if I could challenge church leaders to do anything, I would say, man, make sure you notice all those children and adolescents. Let your faces light up. Make it as an eldership, a leadership, as an adult challenge in your church mm -hmm. that every kid who comes in feels like church was put there for them to feel welcomed and loved and special because that is where they are going to experience what it's like to be loved by God. Thank you so much, Beth. That is a powerful thing. And I think you're exactly right. I think sometimes we in church leadership have treated our children as second rate citizens in our congregation. And I love, um, I know my kids are blessed when adults from church 
light up when they come in and spend time and have conversations um, with them. We appreciate your time and your wisdom. And, and I think we're going to have to have another conversation. Beth. I think one, I've decided we need to be the best friends. And so uh, besides being best friends, I would love to um, glean more wisdom from you, from your experience and um, look forward to speaking with you again. I would love to have a chance to have more conversations, Ashley. Thank you so much, Beth. Thanks for listening today to Live from the Cybert Institute. We would love to connect with you on our social media channels, and you can always find all of our various resources at our website, cybertinstitute.org. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on your platform of choice, then share it with your friends. Until next time, may God bless you in all that you do.